Your style is unorthodox. But effective. It is not the art, but the combat that you enjoy. Man, you come right out of a comic book. You are now listening to Black Comics Chat. Black 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 Comics Chat. We are live on Black Comics Chat. Black Comics Chat. Black Comics Chat. We are live on Black Comics Chat. Black Comics Chat. Shannon, CG, Lauren, and Mel form the Nerds of Prey, a group of ladies bonded by comics, gaming, film, television, and fandom culture. Hang out with them bi-weekly as they dig into the very things that make them loud and proud nerds. Available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. Also, check out their Patreon at patreon.com backslash nerds of prey. Hi, this is Anthony Rutgazer. I'm the writer of The First Hero and Heroes of Homeroom C, and you are listening to Black Comics Chat. Hi, this is Regine Al Sawyer, owner, writer, creator of Lock It Down Productions, and the coordinator and founder of the Women in Comics Collective International. You are now listening to Black Comics Chat. Hey, hey, what's going on, good people? This is Marcus Kwame with another episode of Black Comics Chat. Uh, Tony and I recorded this interview with uh, Jordan Clark last month. It was a little bit before his Kickstarter campaign uh, dropped, but as of this moment that I'm speaking to you right now, the Kickstarter campaign is in full swing, so um, you're going to hear about it, but make sure you go to uh, Elk Mountain, you know, just uh, Google Elk Mountain Kickstarter, and you'll find the campaign, and, uh, you know, help a brother out, uh, show him your support, help spread the word, and let's make it happen. All right, peace. All right, now we're live. What up, what up? One, two, one, two. We are live and we are back. Uh, I lost count of the episode, so we'll just say this is episode, I think, six uh, of the 2019 season. I'm, it, I'm making this a thing, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> my name is Anthony Otero, a.k.a. Latin Negro, the driver of the Red Lion, the undercover Sith Lord. And before we get to our guest, I want to introduce... The brother from the coldest part of New York, Albany, New York. I, we have Marcus Kwame. What up? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm glad to be here. I'm excited about speaking to our guest, um, who has a lot of cool cool projects that I want to get into. Yes, and so uh, introducing tonight's guest, Jordan Clark. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Doing good. Doing good. You know, I'm I'm not at work right now. I'm chilling. That's a plus. Just had my, my meal, so I'm good. I'm good. What did you? I just ate too. So what did you have? Uh, I had my traditional my traditional uh, Puerto Rican slash Dominican meal, okay. uh, steak and cebollado uh, yes. with uh, morro and maduros. There you go. All right. All right. So my mom, <laughs> my mom's Puerto Rican, so I'm I'm familiar oh, with nice. all of that. Nice. Um, and that just makes me more jealous because there's no, I live in Baltimore, so there's no real Puerto Rican food besides like my mom's house. Oh, uh, um, you got a Puerto so, Rican food desert? Baltimore? Yeah, basically. Like, I mean, there's, it's weird because 
surrounding like the Washington DC area, there's surprisingly a decent amount of Puerto Rican food. So like the closer you go to DC, the more food there is. But like out here in Baltimore, there's like Cuban food and like the kind of Maryland has a lot of like Ecuadorian, El Salvadorian uh, immigrants. So there's a lot of that. Um, but like Puerto Rican is just kind of like not nowhere to be found for some reason. <sighs> well, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm sorry. Yeah, to hear that, man. I'm struggling, but. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let, let's kick this off. You're here for a reason. So, uh, but before we get to that, why don't you give us uh, your origin story? How, how did you get to this point in your career? How, how did you become a writer? Uh, a creator, rather. Yeah. So um, basically when I was, as I said, I grew up in Maryland. So I grew up in Silver Spring, which is kind of just outside of DC. Um, and there were, there were no comic shops around where I used to live. Uh, there was like a, um, like a specialty store that had like trading cards and stuff like that. And they didn't want kids in there cause we would touch stuff. So like I never went in there. Uh, but I would always go to Chicago with my family, uh, during the summertime. Uh, so we would go to, uh these like antique malls and like chachi malls like in the middle of like ohio and indiana like on the way um and my parents would get whatever they would get like vases and all kinds of you know antique stuff and my sister would get like records and then i would be left to kind of like wander these large <laughs> places that again kids probably shouldn't have been in there but um i ended up just like thumbing through and picking up random comics uh so like anything that looked cool like the hulk destroyed a building like i would buy that like x-men like i remember i got the x-babies comic uh just because i was like this looks cool like i'll buy that um but after that like i kind of fell out of comics and then like got back into comics in college uh where i had a professor who was like i don't know did you guys go to hbcus am i the only one uh i didn't okay. uh, i didn't either okay well uh, so i did and uh i wish, I, wish I did at times but i didn't <laughs> well it's interesting just because like um you know i went to public school throughout like middle school high school all that stuff and then when i got to uh i went to morgan state in baltimore uh and i had a professor who was kind of like I mean, again, this is the thing. So I don't know if this is, I, I doubt this happened at your classes at college, but like he would just come in and be playing like an African marimba and he would like start playing Arrested Development and like all this other stuff. Um, but, but then he would start talking to like other classmates about like Doctor Who. And I was like, what's that? And then he would start talking about um, just like all kinds of like comic stuff. Like he and another classmate were like, really big into John Stewart Green Lantern and then, like they would talk about that um and before then like I had never really seen anybody that like looked like me and like was um I mean he was obviously older than me but like was like in like into comics not just like oh like I know who Superman is but like I like read comics and like know all this stuff um so seeing that kind of made me say like oh like I can I can do that like I can kind of get back into all this stuff um and then the same, like near the end of my college career, um, 
I think my mom is probably listening, but I don't know if she I don't know if she knows this part, but I skipped a class uh because Dark Knight came out and I had to see that movie. And I think this was before um I think this was before did they have midnight screenings when that movie came out? I think they did. did. Yeah, I think they did. Okay, because for whatever reason I was like, well, I'm not going at midnight, but I'm gonna go first thing the next day. And like I remember I got there at like 10 o'clock and like the whole theater was like sold out. Um, and I sat down next to this dude who looked like he was also not going to work. Uh, cause he like was in like a full suit and tie, but was like just sitting in the front of the theater too. Unless he was one of those like TV dads who like gets fired and then just doesn't tell his family and just goes to like the movies all day or, something like that but we were both sitting there and like as soon as the joker uh like took off his mask in the beginning like we both looked at each other and were like we made the right choice by not doing whatever (laughs) whatever we should have been doing today like this is amazing um so then after that like i was like heavy and like i was like i need to read every comic that like was associated with this movie like i need to get into all this stuff um and so like i was like deep into comics like i like i would go to the store like every time i got paid and just like pick up four or five trades and just start reading stuff um but then when i graduated i got a degree in broadcast journalism uh and this was like 2000 and like 11 and so all of my professors were like you know the industry's training and you're probably not going to have a job when <laughs> you graduate uh but like here are some things that you probably like should know and they kind of like rushed us out of there um so when i graduated i was doing some stuff on like tv but um like it was freelance stuff and it wasn't really um steady so i was kind of like you know i'd work for a couple weeks and then i maybe wouldn't work for like three weeks and then just kind of like keep bouncing back and forth um but i was trying to think of like creative things i could do in the interim and so like i tried to do some like web series stuff um but you know getting people together to like make a thing and like nobody's getting paid and you're trying to like, you know, start from scratch on like YouTube and stuff like that wasn't working. And I was like, well, you know, I love comics and like, maybe I could just turn all these ideas into comics. Um, I was like, it's cheaper, which is kind of, I mean, theoretically it's cheaper, but it's not like super cheap. Um, and, uh, um, but if there's less people, like it was like, it would just be me and like an artist. Um, and so like ideas could kind of get through, um clearer and i wouldn't really have to like deal with a lot of extra stuff um so then like i just read everything there was to read about making comics all the scott mcleod books like read all the interviews and like all the people that i admired and looked up to like just try to get as much advice from them just in terms of like interviews and, and things that they had put out there um and so in 2000 and i want to say 13 whenever pretty deadly came out um kelly pseudoconic was coming to a a a store in the maryland area uh called third eye comics um and she was going to come and sign and she was also going to do like uh basically just like a workshop in terms of like people who want to write comics and like telling people like what she knew about writing comics and, and trying to like impart some wisdom on people so like i went to the signing met her that was great came back later that night to do the workshop and like everything she had said 
I basically had already read or, or knew, you know, from doing all this other research. Um, but the one thing that she did say that like I hadn't heard anywhere else was like, basically the best way to make comics is just to make comics. And up to that point, like I hadn't made any comics. Like I had just like done a massive amount of like research and like, um, just looking into like what I need to do, but I hadn't written any scripts and I hadn't like tried to make anything yet. So she was like, you know, the best thing to do is just throw something out to an anthology, see if you can get somebody to like print something for you. Um, you know, it's the easiest way. Cause you know, they'll just hook you up with an artist and you don't necessarily have to, you know, do all that work yourself. So that night I went home, I found an anthology, I sent something out, uh, it got picked up like a few days later. Uh, so I did that story. And then like, after that, like, I just like kept making stuff, uh, ever since. So it's been about six years now. Um, and I was lucky enough to, to run into Kelly Sue again, three years ago. Uh, she was at heroes con and I was showing her some of my stuff that I had done, uh, since then. And she was like, this is cool. And she was showing it to her editor who was sitting next to her and she was like, this is cool. And they came over to my table and like picked some up and like, I met them a few other times, but I left that show thinking like, Oh, like that was great. Like I'll never see those people again, but it was nice of them to like be so nice to me. Um, and then a few weeks later they got in touch with me and wanted me to be in the bitch planet triple feature, which came out two years ago. Now I think 2019 is weird. Like it's still early enough that I'm like, what year is it? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, but, I mean, since 2016 time has changed. The- <laughs> <laughs> A lot of <laughs> but but yeah so that was my first published work uh through image and then around that i've been trying to kickstart some projects doing some uh self-published work um so it's been yeah about six six years of just kind of like tooling away at stuff trying to you know keep getting better each project that i put out that's really cool so um so yeah, you mentioned that like the the Dark Knight was a an entry point when mm-hmm. you in those first uh you know when you started devouring graphic novels and and really buying books like what what were some of the early ones that really jumped out to you? So, yeah, like I was saying like when I was a kid like all I knew was just like basically Fox and WB uh like cartoons so like yeah. I watched X-Men, Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, Hulk, uh, Justice League Unlimited, like all that stuff. So like, I kind of knew some stuff just having like watched all those shows religiously, but like, again, not having read any comics, I was just kind of like, I don't know where to start. So after I saw the Dark Knight, I was kind of looking up like what, uh, comics inspired it. So there was the long Halloween, which is one of my favorite comics. Um, there was, uh, year one which is amazing uh there was after that i just kind of like went down the 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 comic wormhole i guess and it was you know watchmen it was um uh like i'm a huge flash fan so i just went and got like the whole mark wave run the whole grant morrison run the whole jeff johns run um and then from there it was just like whatever whatever people were recommending to me i would kind of just go out and find it and read it and try to figure out what made it work um but yeah like again that that movie i don't know what a, i mean it was the more serious batman movie like i saw batman begins and i was like this was cool but it didn't really do the same thing for me as as dark knight did where i saw that and i was like oh shit like 
Yeah. I mean, whatever this is, like, if this is in comic book form, like, I need to read this. Like, I need to have this feeling again. Cool, man. Absolutely. And it sounds like you ran through the gamut of, like, these uh, comic book, uh, all some of the greatest comic books ever written. Um, have you read anything from Tom King? Oh, yeah. Like, I, um, so, like, he's, I don't know if he's from D.C., but he's living in D.C., uh, has been living in D.C. So, like, I, uh, like, read Grayson, like, on and off. Uh, and, like, I liked Grayson, but it was kind of like, oh, like, this is cool. Like, I was one of those people who was like, Nightwing's a spy. Okay, whatever. Like, just tell me when he's, like, Nightwing again. Um, but, like... <laughs> But yeah, but like the the more that I read, the more I was like, oh, this is pretty, all right. I can get with this. Like, this is cool. Um, but like, so I met him at Baltimore Comic Con when like that was coming out, and that was right before the Vision was coming out. So I was kind of talking to him about that, and then I went and like read the Vision. I was like, this is amazing. Um, and I don't know if Sheriff of Babylon came out before or after the Vision or like at the same time as the Vision. Um, but that might be my favorite thing that he's done. Um, and then, of course, now you know Batman and Mister Miracle and all that stuff. Yeah, he's like he's like batting a hundred. Yeah, no, I mean he's 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 one of those writers that I think, um, you know, when you when you look at a lot of what's happening now in comics, um, it's very easy to kind of like see people, you know, not imitating like other people or like following trends, but like there's definitely a. Uh, uh, a thing where you can be like, oh yeah, like he's doing his Grant Morrison thing, or like he's doing his like Alan Moore thing. Um, but like he's had a very original voice, I think, uh, for a while now, and like he's just continuing to kind of like perfect that, which is it's really cool to watch like happen in real time. Just because, um, you know, I think a lot of the times, uh, you know, it's not even that people don't get you know proper respect until like maybe like you know way after they're done, but um you know sometimes again in in the world of comics you know there's there can be a lot of and he's he's had a lot of uh <laughs> backlash and and people kind of you know railing against him for you know the whole wedding thing and then um i think i saw <laughs> i think i saw a tweet that he put out today where he was in an uber and like the guy asked him what he did and he was like i write you know i write batman and he was like oh like you did court of owls and he was like no that was scott snyder and he was like oh but you did metal and he was like that was also scott snyder it's like but you do grim knight and he was like that that's scott snyder and it was like what did you do and i was like the wedding and he was like oh how did you fuck that up so bad <laughs> wow. was like, <laughs> are you serious <laughs> <laughs> And he was, I don't, I don't know if they had a further conversation after that, but, <laughs> but again, like, you know, dealing with somebody like Batman, who I think, you know, means a lot to a lot of people. And it's just, he's the, he is the flagship of comics. Like if you look at comic sales, like the, the industry basically goes as Batman goes. So, um, you know, if you're writing Batman, like that's the job. Um, and for him to not just say, Oh, like I'm going to do my best, you know, whoever impression, you know, Denny O'Neill impression, my best. Uh, I'm going to keep trying to do what Scott Snyder was doing and like pick up those threads or do some weird Grant Morrison stuff. But he's definitely, he's got his thing that he's doing and he's sticking to it. And I commend him for that because it can't be easy to go through probably what he, I mean, didn't he have like security at like a Comic-Con recently just because he was getting like death threats or something crazy like that. So really? um, yeah, he's, 
he's he's sticking to it, and I I salute. But him comic for book that. fans and, are so reasonable. <laughs> you know, I like to think that a lot of them are, but you know, I mean, it's hard to tell because with the internet outrage, a lot of the time, I try to tell myself that you know this is a very vocal minority of people who like you know are just kind of galvanizing around something to create an outrage but um no i think you're right i mean not not to derail but i mean we'll probably speak about captain marvel later which i think is disproved the maybe the effectiveness of of that group of people oh yeah i guess let's, let's talk a little bit about um your 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 books that you have um I first, I think, came across you last year when you were, um, you had your Kickstarter going for Elk Mountain. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that you have, you know, more news coming up about that. But uh, tell, I guess, for the listeners, tell them about Elk Mountain and what it is. Sure. Yeah. Elk Mountain is a, a book that I'm kickstarting. So we ran a Kickstarter last year, um, ambitious Kickstarter. We got a good amount of money, but we didn't get, all the money we needed to fulfill the goal, which, I mean, that's, that's how Kickstarter works. Sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. Um, so we're kind of coming back and retooling it um, and launching it again next month. But the story behind the book is it's about an immigrant superhero who lives in the small town. Um, and if you're, if you're thinking, you know, just in terms of Superman, you know, growing up in Smallville and then going to Metropolis, uh, he kind of does the opposite in the sense that he, you know, grows up in the small town of Elk Mountain, um, and he doesn't leave. So he's, you know, basically this big time superhero operating out of the small town. Um, but, you know, there's uh, something that happens that kind of takes him away from the town. He kind of disappears for a while um, and it starts raising all these questions of the people who live there. Uh, just with kind of the rising fears surrounding immigration and, um, you know, people questioning, like, well, where did he really come from? And like, what was he really doing here? Um, and you know, just kind of examining how, you know, in this day and age, that fear surrounding, surrounding immigration and just amounting a lot of different things and how, um, you know, that, that fear is being weaponized against people who are basically living their lives. You know what I mean? When you think about a lot of immigrants, uh, they're people who like, they're not, they're not new to America. Like they've been here for a long time. Um, and I mean, obviously America is, everybody's an immigrant unless you're an indigenous person. So like everybody, um, has come from somewhere and migrated from somewhere. Um, but there's a lot of people who, you know, like, it's not like they just got to America. Like they've been to America, they've been in America for a while, but all of a sudden now people are giving them kind of a second look, a different look and kind of questioning them, even though, you know, there are people, you know, you'll see on the news where, you know, people get approached by ICE or immigration or people for speaking Spanish. And they're like, where are you from? And they're like, Jersey. Like, it's not, you know, like a lot of people, Uh, I think just have, uh, you know, this um, fear that's obviously stoked by the president, obviously stoked by, you know, uh, a right wing base where, you know, they're looking at anybody who just isn't white, isn't a white man uh, and kind of just, you know, trying to, you know, stoke this fear about people coming and taking your jobs, people coming and, you know, committing crimes, people coming and doing all this stuff where, again, you look at the numbers and the research and like, there's nothing to prove any of that. There's nothing to support any of that. Um, but for me, when I think about superhero stories, a lot of the times um, I think maybe part of it is I'm getting older. Part of it is just, I've, I've read so many superhero stories where 
um, you know, like a superhero fighting the supervillain isn't necessarily as exciting for me any anymore as it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm getting to a place where it's more about not even just superheroes fighting things that you can't physically fight, but like, what is, what is the journey of this hero? Um, and, and how do they kind of navigate in, uh, it doesn't have to be a world that necessarily reflects ours, represents ours, but is, is similar enough to ours where you can kind of see yourself and relate to, uh, the struggles they're going through. So again, with, with my hero Valor, like, you know, he can't fight immigration like i mean he could fight ice i guess if he wanted to but like he can't you know like literally fight uh you know the idea of immigration in the sphere that's going on um but also thinking it from the aspect of again if if you know in dc comics all of a sudden the president was like superman you're an immigrant like you need to leave you know you need to get out of america like well you can't make superman leave like he can he would probably leave if that was what he was being told but like it's not like you can just get the military and get him out of there. And it's not like you can just, um, you know, I'm laying unless you've got, you know, kryptonite or whatever it is to kind of like, you know, force him to leave, but it's not a situation where you can just like, you know, send him a subpoena or send him, you know, send ice to, you know, the, uh, fortress of solitude and just kind of like, you know, deport him. Um, and so, you know, in the same respect, you know, you've got this person who is, basically all powerful to an extent and like you like deporting that person is is theoretically possible but not something that i think any you know nation or country would necessarily like try to enforce um but at the same time they're also doing so much good you know what i mean like it's not like they are you know what what they would want you to believe immigrants are when you watch you know fox news and stuff like that like they're literally a superhero like they're literally saving people's lives um and so, you know, having that kind of duality of like what people uh, want you to believe about, you know, a, a set group of people. And then obviously a very visible, uh, you know, refutation of that in, in the form of the superhero who is like, you know, to, to say anybody's the ultimate good is kind of like, that's a lot. <laughs> but he is, you know, definitely doing good and doing, um, you know, incredible things for people on a daily basis. So. Um, I think, you know, that's, that's kind of the the thing we're looking to explore less of like, you know, the political side in terms of like policy and more in terms of like, you know, when you, when you look at people who are immigrants in this country and kind of what their day-to-day is and kind of how they have to operate, um, specifically in this day and age, um, you know, like how does that reflect in, in kind of a superhero world? You know, that's that's a very interesting concept. And I was just as you were talking, I was like, <clears throat> now, and I'm not even thinking about Guy Gardner when I say this, but, you know, <laughs> it would be interesting to have like a problematic superhero, you know, mm-hmm. like Guy Gardner is problematic because, I mean, he's just an asshole. Everyone's an asshole at some yeah. point. But I mean, like that true problematic, like somebody who saves millions, but then, you know, hates gays. You know what I mean? Or right. or not hates, but doesn't understand it or says something stupid about the trans community and how that really affects the relationship of being a true superhero. I think we are in a point in our society where, you know, people are canceling other people and we, you know, mm-hmm. we have this cancel culture. And, you know, and even I was saying this the other day, it's like everyone is problematic on some level. You know, we, we have a problem where we put our... Uh, faves on a pedestal 
Right. You know what I mean? And particularly with DC and the way they treat their superheroes is every superhero has their pedestal. I mean, the flash has a fucking museum, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like Superman has whatever, but imagine having that, having a a hero, having to deal with that. Um, I mean, I'm not saying it would sell well, it may, it may not, Mm -hmm. but I think just having that, that persona or, or that, or being able to write that person, you know, I think would be very interesting. I think that that sounds fantastic. Well, yeah, and it's and it's it's it is definitely you know very difficult to to navigate a lot of you know what's coming out these days just because you know in terms of cancel culture and how people you know go about making those decisions like you know there are some things that yeah like it's if if you are you know openly homophobic openly islamophobic openly whatever like that's a problem like i can't support giving you money like i haven't been to chick-fil-a in a however long you know what i mean and like I never, i've never been there I, and i don't <laughs> plan to be there. yeah well and that and that's but that's a moral decision that i made where i was like well you know like this chicken's all right but like it's not worth <laughs> like compromising uh you know my 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 morals and you know my relationships with other people over it like i can just go wherever popeyes popeyes is good um so you know people i think individually everybody is is kind of trying to make those decisions but at the same time um you know we're living in a in an age where everything's just rapidly evolving and like you know it's not it's not i I would say that i have sympathy but maybe not empathy for you know people from an older generation who are now you know having to relearn you know people's pronouns or maybe have to relearn how they address people and relearn you know just just what's what's uh acceptable in a society um but at the same time like you know we're 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 from the you know the internet and social media and all this stuff i think you're seeing a lot of people who haven't had a voice really ever in any public you know forum in society who are suddenly able to express themselves and kind of you know make themselves known um and you know there's no reason they should have to put up with shit that they've had to put up for for however long just because somebody's having trouble adjusting you know what i mean so there's you know kind of that schism happening where you've got people who are like you know i've been trans my whole life and like now it's not even that it's cool to be trans but like you know people are like you know seeing these people now you know even though they've been around for a long time yeah Um, right and so you know they are saying like well you know i'm not once once you've advanced this far and then this is for every minority like you kind of look at where you are and you're like well i'm not going back like i'm not going to turn around and like stop you know all the progress that's been made just because other people are having you know a hard time adjusting to what's going on um but at the same time like i think there has to be there has to be some space for people to like you know navigate these things specifically if you are a celebrity um you know i've my recommendation was like maybe don't tweet everything you think or like mm-hmm. everything that like comes to your brain at like 2 a.m and like you know if you want to have these conversations like have them with your friends not on a public forum you know what i mean and like discuss these things and like reach out to people from communities that you don't understand and try to like get that information um but in terms of like yeah like people who are just like oh like I, you know, I, I, you know, I don't want to go to the bathroom with, you know, somebody who's, you know, a trans person or whatever. It's like, I, I saw a comedy special recently where a comedian was like, well, these people have been going to the bathroom forever. <laughs> like, where have they been going? Let them go there. Like, if they, you know, it's not like they've just go in the house and then like hold it until they get home. Like, you know, this has been going on for however long. So, absolutely. Um, 
Absolutely. I, yeah. I like having the arguments about gender neutral bathrooms. And if it's like, oh, I don't understand the reason for it. I was like, you know, the bathroom in your house. Yeah, that's gender neutral. Idiot. Right. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. Hello. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, that I've, I think we've all probably had conversations about canceling with current events, especially. I mean, you know, obviously, R. Kelly and Michael Jackson are, are two names mm-hmm. um, right, that have been right. in that conversation. But, you know, I. One thing I've been kind of discussing this week is the idea of even like the terms like, you know, cancel and outrage and how they're real things and but how they can be weaponized to kind of shut down conversations. And and it'll be people on either side of an issue. But like it, it just gets to a point where people talk about like, oh, cancel, cancel, cancel. And I think the reason why we're in a very messy time right now is what you were speaking about the fact that you've you've got groups of people who have always been here but they've found a voice that they weren't able to have before you know due to social media and the flow of information and the status quo they feel like they're under siege when in reality you just have people kind of voicing their experience and their truths who never got to voice it before you know and so it, it it feels like oh i can't say anything or i can't do this but they're you know i mean Truthfully, these are just people. We got into a long discussion with it with, with Chuck last time, just about how, um, you know, the people who really want to uphold the status quo, they 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 um they just kind of violently lash out um at 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 any type of change or being asked to not be an asshole, yeah. you know. But that being said, though, like, and not everyone gets it right as far as you know, um, as far as their approach to handling situations where people don't do things right and it's like you said it's a very personal thing from person to person i don't know it's just it's, it's an ongoing conversation and of course um you know we've got like the the, the messiest administration of all time <laughs> happening right in the middle of it but but we don't need to go into that <laughs> but i can't but in the preview for um for elk mountain though um it definitely obviously falls into our current timeline because there is a there's a, a news clip of the the, the orange one <laughs> that, that that comes on TV. <laughs> I guess that leads to, to another question I had, which is the fact that the the stories of yours that I've read, um, w- which we'll get into some of the other ones in a little bit, but like they definitely like you're not afraid to tackle um, social issues and, and timely issues, um, like what. I guess what's your approach as a writer to to that? Yeah, I feel like, um, you know, before this recent string of stories that I've done, um, like I've, I've, I've always been interested in obviously what's, what's happening in the now and, and, you know, social issues and political issues. Um, And I, I feel like, you know, like I've become more aware and more conscious of what's going on around me. Probably just by necessity, it probably just be yeah, I mean again it's it's one of those things where you know you hear uh people like, oh man, like why are black people always talking about race, and it's like, well, we're not talking about race, like we're just talking about like our our lives, like our daily experiences, like which just mostly happen to be racial, like it's not mm-hmm. if black people could just talk about whatever, like we wouldn't talk about that, we would talk about exactly the things that we were interested in, but like you know a, a lot of it, like you're saying, is just survival and just being aware of what's happening on going on around you, so um. You know, as I've, I've, you know, definitely made a, a concerted effort to to be more aware of what's happening around me, you know, and here living in Baltimore, like, 
um, you know, after the uprisings, after Freddie Gray's, uh, yeah. it, it was a murder, uh, after yeah, he was absolutely. killed, um, you know, like it was, it was kind of a shock for me because like, you know, I, I was at work, I was working in DC at the time and like, I was basically just watching on my phone. It was like, all this was happening and like, you know, unable to get home for like a, a while. And then when I finally did get home, like you could just kind of see like the streets, everything had kind of like cleared up at that point. Um, but it was just kind of like a very surreal moment. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, you know, the governor kind of called in the uh, national guards that we were on curfew and basically under like a, uh, um, occupation, if you will, from, you know, the national guard, like we couldn't go out after like, I think nine o'clock or something like that, uh, for like a whole week. So, um, you know, after that, I was kind of like, you know, this is like, I can write about, you know, a lot of different things and, and, you know, there's a lot of different things that interest me, but I feel like what's been coming naturally to me, uh, you know, the last couple of years now has just been, has been these stories and writing about this stuff. And I think, um, in terms of tackling these issues, you know, when it's something that is, is, um, affecting me directly, you know what I mean? Like stuff that I can speak to directly from my own experience. Um, you know, it's, it's easy. And again, when we talk about, you know, the collective black experience, I think it's, it is something that's, that's interesting and unique just because, um, you know, obviously you know, black people, we're not all the same and not a monolith, all that stuff, but there is a lot of stuff that is the same. There is a lot of stuff where you have conversations with other black people, um, you know, like you're relaying and all this information and these, um, you know, life experiences that people are like, yeah, that happened to me too. You know, like that, 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 weird thing that you thought was just a thing that happened to you, like happened to this person and this person and this person. Um, and so having those conversations obviously in inspired a lot of the stuff that I do too. Um, but when I'm doing something like Elk Mountain where, you know, like I am part Puerto Rican, but I'm, Puerto Ricans are Americans. Uh, even though again, after everything that happened two years sure. ago, you know, people don't, sure. <laughs> don't want to acknowledge that, but we are uh, Americans. Um, and so, uh, you know, for me, you know, even though I have uh, a Latinx background, like, you know, I, I'm not coming from, you know, that immigrant experience. So, uh, a lot of it has been me, you know, doing as much research as possible to be as true to the experience as possible. Um, and trying to represent that as, as, as faithfully as I can, obviously it's a superhero story. So there's, you know, elements of it that are fantastical, but, you know, trying to hit home on, you know, the emotionally resonant parts of it that I think will hopefully speak to, you know, uh, immigrants themselves, uh, but also, you know, be something that can, you know, kind of connect people deeper to that experience and where they're coming from. So, um, you know, I, again, I, I don't know if it necessarily comes naturally in the sense of like, you know, this is just what comes out, but anytime I think of a story, anytime I kind of think of, um, you know, what I want to write about or, or what's coming to me. Like, you know, there, there are all of these different elements, whether it's societal, whether it's political and sometimes it's just personal, but, you know, it kind of delves into either of those realms. Um, you know, I think it's, it's just, um, you know, hopefully it's me coming more and more into my own individual voice. But, um, you know, before, when I first started writing comics, like I found a script by Neil Gaiman in the back of uh, Sandman trade. And I was like, this is how you write comics. And I tried to write comics like that. And I was like, I can't do this. Like, this is like, <laughs> you know, very prose like and very lyrical and all that stuff. And like, that was great. Um, and it's great for Neil Gaiman, but that doesn't necessarily work for me. Um, but I think, you know, some of the stuff that I've been doing recently, I think is 
what works for me or what is working for me. And, you know, so I'm going to, you know, continue to explore those elements, but, um, you know, just in terms of, of, of doing that kind of work, like it can, it can be draining at times because you're just kind of like exposing yourself to, you know, a lot of stuff, which isn't always positive and, and hopeful, but at the same time, you know, you get to take those elements and kind of weave a narrative, which, you know, hopefully, you know, is giving people hope and is giving people, um, you know, a more positive outlook, even though sometimes things don't look that great. <laughs> yeah. So um, I guess speaking of which, um, we another really poignant story of yours is um, is the Black experience, uh, which, you know, is uh, I, I would describe as kind of a, a virtual reality journey through just some of the many decisions that, you know, a, a Black person can, uh, you know, has to make throughout the course of a day, the type of thing that, you know, many other people might not even consider. Um, so, yeah, I, I tell us a little bit about that story and how that came about. Yeah, that was, um, like, I, everything you said, I, I agree with. And even just in terms of it being, like, I look at it as, like, a like a lost Black Mirror episode or if, like, Black people made Black Mirror, like, kind of what that would look like just because... Um, it is like following black, like, black the, mirror. <laughs> like the blackest mirror. Yeah. I think, um, it is, uh, a story that, you know, has a lot of those sci-fi elements and it is, um, you know, taking, you know, this virtual reality, um, you know, background. And I worked on it with an artist, uh, Amara Smith, who's fantastic. And they did, uh, you know, a lot of really cool, interesting things just in terms of the design, like me and them were going back and forth talking about, you know, how we wanted it to look. And I was suggesting, you know, kind of like, uh, at first I had it kind of like, if you've played like Mass Effect, any of those games yeah. with those like dialogue trees, yeah. um, you know, and kind of having all these different, like, you know, things that you could decide or, you know, things that you could say throughout. Um, and, uh, you know, me being the writer, I was like, yeah, we could put all this stuff in there. And, and, you know, them being the artists, they were like, what if we streamlined this a little bit and made it, you know, a little bit clearer and easier to, to decipher. Um, so I'm thankful to them for that, but they definitely, um, you know, uh, took, you know, the idea and, and, and made it look amazing, um, and kind of, you know, very clearly kind of played the story out. Um, and like you were saying, it is a look at, you know, a day in the life of of a black person kind of in a virtual reality way. Um, and originally, like I wanted the story originally to be like, you didn't know that, you know, you, the reader, you know, were living the life of a black person. But then I was like, this is going to be really hard for you to like grab stuff and like do like not show hands, not show a reflection, like not show anything at all, like ever until the very end. Um, so I was like, what if I just leaned into it? And it was like, yeah, this is what it, it's kind of like. Um, and, you know, even from the first, you know, panel where, you know, you wake up and you're seeing this uh, story that's sent to you by a friend, which is basically about, it's based on a real story. Uh, I think last year where like these cops just ran up on uh, some kids who are playing outside in Chicago um, and like arrested them and like had them in handcuffs and like all this stuff. Um, probably, you know, it, it turned out that it was just like, I don't know how you mistake the identity of a 10 year old, but, <laughs> but they, right. So they, but they, but it was, it was a big news story. I mean, in the sense of, you know, how the news cycle moves. So like it right, kind of right. came up and then went away, but like, 
you know, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, I, it's happened to me or I've just kind of woke up and just be like, oh, like what's in the news this morning? And I was like, oh, shit, like <laughs> one of these. Uh, and, you know, the the choice in the comic is you can either like disassociate and like move on with your day or just kind of like go back to bed and like let it all kind of slowly sink in. Um, but those are the kind of things that I do, I do think happen on a regular basis. And like you're saying, a lot of people may not have that you know realization um and the craziest thing for me is like you know being able to take this book to conventions and different shows and and having black people come up and read it and like that moment where you know it's different for for everybody but they get to a certain point and they're just like this is too real you know what i mean and then like we have that conversation where you know they're telling me this story about yeah you know like my white friend said you know x y and z and like i don't know how to talk to them about that like it was fucked up but like you know like we're friends so i don't do i just end my friendship or like how do i navigate that space or even more so when it's like you know this person is family you know so like how do i you know navigate that respect like you know situations where they've been you know profiled and and all kinds of different stuff um and i think uh you know it's a story that again today you know at the at the cross section of you know technology and virtual reality and you know even you know hearing stories about people saying that you know virtual reality can be like a um like an empathy tool you know what i mean kind of put people in the in the roles of other people so they can live those experiences or kind of see those experiences firsthand but um you know i mean i i don't i don't know if that's possible or also like I don't know if ethical is the word, but like, it seems like that isn't going to work. Like there's, there's so much where, uh, you know, different people from different backgrounds are telling people like, Hey, this is happening to me. Mm. And they'll be like, I don't know. Like I watch the news and like, or I have, I have a black friend and like, they don't seem to be dealing with this stuff or, you know, and it's and again, I mean, even when all the me too stuff was happening and, and, and then we're like, do women really get sexually assaulted that much? And women are like, yeah, like all, it happens all the time. And like, but my female friends don't talk to me about it. It's like, I wonder why they don't do that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's coming at it also from that perspective of, you know, minorities who are kind of saying like, yeah, this, this shit happens to me all the time. Like, this is yep. not a new thing, you know, but it's also not a rare thing. Like this is every day, like, you know, I'll have times where I'm out and about and, you know, I kind of have to check my surroundings. Like, it's not even like a conscious thing. It's just kind of like a, where am I right now? Like what's happening right now? Okay. Like, you know, like I see that police car, like, let me just kind of like move over here to the side or like, you know, what are the, I'm, I'm kind of like unconsciously eavesdropping on people's conversations and things like that. Um, not even, I, I mean, I don't necessarily want to think about it as like a survival, you know, response but um it is a thing where you know you just you just become heightenedly more aware especially you know the more that you see about stuff like uh you know for me uh you know the whole situation with Khalif Browder like the thing that tripped me out the most is I kept looking at that story and I was like why couldn't that be me like why couldn't I just be yeah. walking home somewhere and the cops be like hey I think you robbed this dude like we're taking you downtown you know without any you know any, any, you know, legal proceedings, like any kind of, you know, situation where they're like, you know, we're going to, we're going to do our job and, <laughs> and do the due diligence on this before we just arrest somebody. But like, you know, like what's stopping me from just getting arrested? Cause I, you know, was walking to the grocery store and like, 
I fit a profile and like, and then I can't, you know, pay a $5,000 cash bond or, you know, whatever it is like, you know, you're just kind of stuck. So, um, you know, I, I've, I'm, I'm grateful that, you know, it has engendered conversation and, and, you know, I'm, I'm curious as to like conversations that people have had, um, when I'm not around <laughs> to see them between themselves and, and, and stuff like that. Um, cause as, as great as it is to talk to it about it to, to other black people, it is kind of weird sometimes talking about it to white people. Cause like, I don't know, um, not like if they're getting the message, like I'll, I'll, I'll spoil the ending in the sense that like um, at the end you see that the, the whole virtual experience you've been having is just this white dude in a Best Buy who's kind of like test driving this, uh, you know, VR helmet. Um, and like one of the, you know, representatives comes up to him and they're like, yeah, like, what did you think about that? And it was like, Oh, I don't know. Like I just read the new Tana Hesey Coates book and like, it doesn't seem like this is authentic to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, <laughs> You know, you're having those conversations and, and that's, and that's one of the things too, that, you know, the story does explore is, um, like some of it's false allyship, but just what it, what it means to be an ally specifically today, because I think there are a lot of people who assume allyship, um, but don't necessarily follow through on it. And then vice versa, a lot of people who assume allyship from others, um, but then find themselves in situations where that wasn't necessarily the case. And for, you know, a lot of people of color, like it's a tricky situation, not necessarily like you're not looking at like everybody else. Like, can I trust this white person? Like, is this somebody that like, you know, I, I'm going to put that much faith in, but at the same time, you know, you get pulled over by the cops and it's kind of like, take the wheel. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what to do in this situation. Sometimes you have to kind of, you know, put your, your faith in people and, and sometimes people, you know, are, are coming through and sometimes people are kind of like, you know, uh, you know, they're, they're doing it on Facebook and they're doing it, you know, in, in different ways, but they're not doing it. It's not a 24 seven thing. Cause I think that's the thing about being an ally is, you know, I can't say I'm an ally to women if, you know, I'm around, you know, a, a group of all men and then they start saying some sexist shit and I'm just like, haha, that's funny. You know what I mean? Like I'm laughing along with the joke. Um, cause that's the, you know, that's what being an ally is, is like when that specific group isn't around, like, do you still, you know, represent them and, and speak yeah. up for them? You know what I mean? So, you know, if you're saying you're an ally to black people, but then, you know, when you're around your white friends or your white, you know, family members and they say something racist or off color and you're just kind of like, yeah, that's just Uncle Jeff. You know, he's racist. You know, like there's nothing I can do about it. And it's like, well, you can like tell him to not do that. You know what I mean? And just make it a point of saying like, that's not cool. And you don't necessarily have to like end your relationship like outright, but just every time he does it, just say that makes me uncomfortable. And I don't, you know, I don't, I don't like, you should stop doing that. Um, and so, you know, when you, you know, look at how a lot of things are going now, like you have people who like for me, you know, it was, it's just weird, you know, being, uh, a black person looking at like, you know, the, the upcoming election cycle, because, you know, you've got people like, uh, uh, you got people like Bernie and then to a certain extent, you got people like Beto and then white people are telling me like, yeah, like you're going to vote for him. Right. Because like, he's got your best interest in mind. And it's like, <laughs> how do I know that? Like, I don't know that. Like, I can't just assume that like, you yeah. know, on the same hand, you just, 
it's not even necessarily that you can assume like a black person has your best interest in mind too because sometimes they don't but like just offhandedly saying like you know yeah like you know he spoke about you know black issues in, in iowa and it's like well that, it's cool like i'm glad he did it but like well bernie perpetually it, fails it's like two people in, <laughs> but there's like two black people in iowa i don't understand right, right all right and again like it's it's great to to be voicing these you know opinions and ideas but it's like you know i do do i necessarily want this person being my voice in terms of voice, voicing the concerns of the black community to a wider demographic you know even if i i don't know them like i don't know either of them like they I, you know, I don't think they're evil people, but like, you know, I, can I say for sure that they have my best interests in mind or will like advocate for me in a sense, you know, when they are president, if they are president, like, you know, and, and doing those things. Cause again, like, I think people misconstrue what it means to be president of the United States of America. Like as much as it might seem like it is now, like it's not a dictatorship and like you have to go through all the systems of checks and balances and like, you know, campaign trail promises sound great in 2019 but you know i mean when you're in office like i i don't know what you're gonna do um but that's the same you know thing where it's like you know like conversations that we have now you know between you know you and 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 your white friend or your white coworker, or whoever like it might sound great in practice but like the only way that you really know is in an application when you're in a situation and like you need that person to step up and speak up for you and like you can't you don't know until it happens, you know what I mean? Uh, which is a tricky situation to be in as a person of color because, like, sometimes you need to rely on allies to do those things. And if you can't really say for sure whether or not that's a thing that's going to happen, you kind of have to just cross your fingers sometimes. It, it can be scary. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. I feel like yeah, this is really heavy. <laughs> no, no, no. It's all good. It's all, good. It's, all good. it's all real stuff. Yeah. And this this coming election season, I, I don't know. I'm dreading it already. You know, it's it's uh the last one felt like it took uh, about ten years. I don't know. I think this one might be about fifteen. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm it's gonna whenever it happens, it's gonna happen. So I'm you know, I'm I'm kind of tuning things out to a certain extent until like we get closer because i mean just just the way that life's been going yeah. the last couple of years like who knows what some of these people did when they were in high school in college and five years ago like i i can't say for like some wild stuff has come out and you're just like wow like it's not like you you tend to want to believe everything that people say about people but at this point like i can't not believe the yeah. things that people say about people because when i haven't believed it it's turned out to be true so i'm just kind of like you know what <laughs> like i'll wait for all the facts to come out but like at right. face value like okay like yeah sure whatever crazy story that comes out about you know especially in a field where there's like 20 people running for president like somebody did something well, that, that's <laughs> where that's where i hope that i don't know i'm just hoping that finally there's a situation where the the democrats don't shoot themselves in the foot because um you know i understand everybody wants it but i i feel that there should be some sort of you know everybody's gonna fight hard and i expect everybody to fight but you know you also don't want to just hand ammunition to you know these these maniacs basically that whoever wins is going to be up against 
So I, yeah. I don't know. And yeah. and there's also a way, you know, just speaking about like uh, who knows what's going to come out. There's um, on the left, you know, people are held far more accountable than they are on the right. I mean, it's to the point where I I don't know. Uh, you know, af- after the uh, the Access Hollywood tape, you know, Trump should have been done, <laughs> but like he survived that. He survived just being awful in every possible way. So there's like no accountability on that side. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, I'm I'm glad that there is some accountability on on the left, um, and at the you know at the same time, like even you know looking at what's going on in Virginia, you know, Justin Fairfax, like if he did the things that people say he did, he should get out, and somebody else can get in. Like I can't necessarily just throw out, you know. I mean, that's the thing, you know, when politics turns into team sports, and we're all just like rooting for our own team no matter what, like, you know, that's when things get kind of messy. So like, yeah. you know, there's certain things where it's like, all right, like that was a terrible mistake or decision. And like, not necessarily like everybody get over it and move on. Like, but you know, I'll, I'll allow room for growth. And there's certain things where I'm like, I can't get with it. I mean, like that's, you crossed the line. That's just kind of like, as much as I like you or would like to like you, like, mm-hmm you made a life decision. So like, I, and you're a grown, you know, man or woman. So like, I can't, you know, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just, it's very interesting because, you know, to see the number of people sort of running for president, um, it makes you excited at first because you're thinking, oh, shit, look, there's all these women, you know, we got people of color, you know, until you begin to realize that at the end of the day, a white man's going to probably win. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, it, I, let's just be let's just be real about that. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, you know, I hear rumors about Biden and what he's oh, going to do. And, and and no, but I'm saying like to, the, the latest rumor is Biden is probably going to package himself with Stacey Abrams and only mm-hmm. be running for four years, which is actually not a bad idea. You know no, what it, I mean? It's, and it, yeah. it's actually a great idea, which kind of scares the shit out of me because it's just like, <laughs> fuck. You know well, what yeah, I mean? I like, it, it, you describing that, I just re- felt the gamut of emotions because I've, I've been annoyed with Biden, but then you said Stacey Abrams. Yeah, yeah, see? You know? That's how they right. get you. you, you how they exactly. Repeat. Exactly. Because it's almost like I'm going to put Stacey Abrams on the ticket as a, a, as me saying sorry for what happened to Anita Hill. <laughs> um, Anita yeah. Hill. No, I really do feel that way because, you know, and I think people be okay with that. But again, what I'm saying is it's stuff like that where it's like we are not done. No, we are not at a point where we're done knowing who's running for fucking president. You know what I mean? And people ask me who's my favorite. And I'm like, I don't even know everybody in the field. Like I know (laughs) people and and I think I'm fairly conscious when it comes to political TV. But there are people who I just I don't know everything. You know well, what I mean? Yeah. And I have to wait to the debates. And even then, there's right. probably going to be like how many debates till we whittle it down to like maybe six or seven people? Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And and also, it's just, just the reality that even if you are, like you said, like a, a person who pays attention, uh, the media doesn't cover them all equally. You know, no, the media no, is like is like Gillibrand. It's um, it's Kamala. You know, Cory Booker. But there's there's a lot of the names that even this past week I was like, oh, I didn't know that name last week. Right, right. right. <laughs> so it's it's crazy. It's crazy. 
Uh, <laughs> All right, not to get too political. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I promise myself every show not to get too political. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we're black. We're allowed. We're allowed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I want, wait, real quick, Tony. I know you're about to get to a point. I just wanted to um one thing uh on the black experience. Uh, you know, you had you had mentioned Jordan about um the fact that about you know the people's defensiveness and and um not knowing if uh the point is going to get get across and i totally agree that that's a thing i definitely have found in my own experience that you know art doesn't necessarily solve everything but there are a lot of instances i've i've seen instances in my own life where impenetrable people you know who who were just totally closed to hearing things in conversation i was able to convey something to them through art, you know what I mean? Like about blackness or about marginalized communities that they wouldn't have been exposed to, um, that they wouldn't have been open to, to um, taking in, you know, otherwise. So I think like work like yours and everything, it is extremely important. Cause like, you know, I, I feel like, like face to face, if it's a person, a black person telling you like, yo, this is what I go through. You know, a lot of times people have their defenses that are automated, but when it's just you and a, a piece of art, you know, people can still put it down or still, you know, be like whatever. But there are some people where you can even, even if it's the beginnings of penetrating, you can kind of do that through art. So definitely. Yeah. And for me, you know, even going back to like, you know, me, me writing about a lot of the stuff, like, I feel like um, it is my way of having these conversations not necessarily without having them, but like, like you're saying, like sometimes, you know, those face-to-face conversations as well as intention as they might be, you know, there, there are a lot of walls that people have built up, you know, and you want to, you know, like, again, like you're not trying to get into a fight with, you know, a friend or a coworker or somebody and, and necessarily like, you know, tear them apart. Cause like we were saying, even previously, like, you know, some people are just, unaware some people are just ignorant to you know realities and some people are just you know slowly you know becoming awakened to to certain truths that are happening you know around them and so you know it's it's that delicate of line of like you know letting them know like yeah that's how it is but like you don't necessarily want to like you know eviscerate them <laughs> you know sure. uh you know without giving them a, a a chance um so for me you know sometimes it's just you know being able to put it into comic book form um and and you know let people digest it and then we can have a conversation about the art like sometimes the art as like intermediary you know like as a conversation starter as kind of that thing that's in between you and another person can kind of erode those walls to a point where you can actually have the the real conversation that you want to have uh that sometimes gets you know um gets in the way you know when when people are you know coming into it ready to to have a fight instead of have an actual conversation yeah most definitely uh tony i'm sorry i feel like i, I got your... <laughs> no 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 it's all good it's all good it's all good okay so um let's talk about your james baldwin comic still not equal mm-hmm what what's how how's that going? What's that been like? Uh, that got me into the city paper here in Baltimore. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so that was cool. Yeah, I was I was it was it was a weird thing because like um Baltimore we have a book festival every year, um and so uh, I did it last year uh, when the Black Experience was coming out. Um, and I met uh, a reporter from the Baltimore Sun who like wanted to talk to me about it. 
and like you know we we had conversations about the piece and all that stuff and then when i was putting together the the baldwin comic that's when uh if bill street could talk was coming out uh so she was writing about that and wanted to tie the comic in with that um and then like i thought it was just going to be like a nice little like you know side thing in the weekend section and then i got the paper and like it was like a big picture of me <laughs> and then like i think janelle monet like had a thing underneath me and i was like oh okay like that's interesting like that's not what i thought was gonna happen um but the story comes from uh, a james baldwin essay uh called uh equal in paris which basically the story of it is he gets to paris you know this is like the first time that he goes out there um he doesn't really have any money doesn't really know anybody there um but obviously like living in america is not working for him anymore so he needed to get away so he goes to paris which was kind of like a uh i don't know if it was, it was a utopia but it was definitely like a getaway for a lot of black artists at the time whether it was jazz musicians or writers or poets um so he's there and you know he's trying to write stuff and it's kind of coming along but not really um so he's just going out to different cafes and bars and kind of drinking and, and socializing and talking to people um and a few months in like he meets somebody else from america uh, who's kind of traveling through and like you know they start you know getting into these conversations and you know it's it's one of those things where they're both in a foreign country and so like they're not friends, but like they kind of make it out like they're friends just because it's it's something familiar and something for them to grab onto. Um, and so this guy who's a white guy kind of like, you know, convinces James Baldwin to get him into the hotel that James Baldwin is staying at because he doesn't like the place that he's staying. Um, and he comes over and like he's living there for like a week or two. And James Baldwin goes up to him and is like, hey, man, like the people here. Uh, like the chambermaids, like they're not really changing the sheets or like doing, you know, all the things they need to do. Like my bed sheet is dirty. Like, do you have a, do you have a spare one in your room that I can borrow? And so the guy like gives him a sheet, um, you know, Baldwin puts it on his bed, goes about his business. Like a week later, he goes to visit this guy and like the cops are in his room and they're talking to him and they're speaking French and Baldwin like kind of speaks French, but not really. So he's just kind of like watching this whole thing play out. And he's like, well, they're probably like looking for somebody or it's just some weird misunderstanding. Um, and the cops turn and they look at him and they're like, like, you guys know each other, right? And he's like, yeah. It's like, can we come to your room? And he's like, okay. And they follow him into his room and they're kind of looking around and he's like, you know, what are you guys looking for? And uh, one of the police officers pulls up the bed sheet. And it's got uh, like a monogram from the hotel that this other guy was staying at. Um, and they're like, you know, the hotel that this guy was staying at, like, I don't know, there's not necessarily like a warrant, but like they wanted this bedsheet back. And like, so stealing, you know, something from a hotel was like not a felony, but like it was a crime. Um, and so, you know, Ball was like, well, I'm from New York. So like we steal stuff from hotels all the time. Like it's not that's not a thing that is like a serious crime. So he was just like, Oh, like, I mean, I'll go with you, but like, this is like all oh, this misunderstanding. Like I'm going to get out tomorrow. Right. And the cops were just like, yeah, probably. Um, and then he proceeded to spend like a month and a half in jail over this bed sheet because, um, wow. you know, it was near uh, like the holidays, like Christmas and all that. So like the government was starting to like shut down for that period of time. Um, but also like 
similar to America, like once you're in the system, like it's kind of just, it's a slow moving, uh, just kind of juggernaut that like it's indifferent to people. Like it's just, you're in it and it's happening to you. And like, um, you can, you know, if you're lucky or you have the money, you know, you can kind of get out of it. But a lot of times people are just like stuck in it. So like he was unfortunately just kind of stuck in the situation. He didn't speak English or he didn't speak French. Um, and so like, he wasn't really able to communicate. Um, you know, he had several trial dates that kind of came and went just because like he didn't come up on the docket. So like, he just went back to jail. Um, and the only reason that he got out was there was somebody who got released and, um, you know, was kind of offering to take messages out, you know, to the outside world and Baldwin was about to let this guy walk away until he remembered that he had a, a friend who was like a lawyer. Um, I don't know if he was in Paris specifically, but like he was in France. Um, so he gave him, you know, that guy's number. And then, uh, that guy was able to get in contact with him and let him know what was happening. And that guy, his friend arranged, you know, a lawyer for Baldwin and his friend and like, they finally get to the trial and, um, you know, his lawyer explains what happened. And then like the whole courtroom just starts laughing and Baldwin is just kind of like, what's happening? <laughs> like, why is everybody, even, even the, uh, American, you know, person that was arrested with him just starts laughing and he was in jail the same amount of time as Baldwin. Like everybody's laughing and he's just kind of like, that's when I knew like I needed to go back to America eventually just because like, you know, it doesn't really matter where I go. Like, you know, here in France, even though, you know, me being black isn't the same as me being black in America, like it's me being American that is, you know, kind of the yeah. obstacle that I have to get over. Um, and when, you know, obviously when I go back to America, it's me being black. That's, you know, the obstacle that I have to get over. Um, so there's really nowhere for me to just be me because there's always going to be some outside force that's like working on me uh, that I have to kind of get over. Um and, you know, at the end of the comic, I kind of relate that to, you know, a lot of things that have happened here in America recently where uh, I was talking about Khalif Browder earlier. And, like, it's basically the same situation where the cops were just like, you're coming with us. And, right. Right. and now you're in jail. Yep. And, you know, he, Khalif refused to take a plea deal, obviously, because he knew what happens when you take a plea deal. Like, you know, yep. even if you didn't do anything which he didn't do anything um you know now you've got a felony on your record now you've got all this stuff you can't get uh housing assistance you can't get uh you know welfare and, and food stamps you can't get uh you know assistance for you know education and all that stuff so it basically like in, in a sense ends your life in a lot of ways you know if you're relying on a lot of that stuff um and you know going down to to sandra bland and trayvon martin and a lot of other people like just how indifferent, you know, the the criminal justice system can be, specifically to people of color, and 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 the ways that, you know, again, if you told that story about James Baldwin to somebody today, like they would just be like, "What? Like, how did that happen?" Um, but again, like we were talking about earlier, like black people have stories like this. Like you'll hear just, you know, casual conversational stories where people are like, "Yeah, like I was." locked up for like, you know, six weeks, you know, for no reason. Like they just, they just brought me in. Um, and so, uh, you know, for me, it was kind of like, you know, tying those threads between, you know, that particular story, but, you know, we, we talk about how things have changed, you know, since even the civil rights movement, 
and people forget how recent that was just in terms of of american history like that wasn't that long ago like now the scope of american history like that wasn't like you know even like slavery which again on the scope of american history also wasn't really that long ago ago. (laughs) um so uh you know it's it's you, you look at the strides and, and, and the, the changes that have been made. And it's not to say that there hasn't been positive steps forward, but it's just to say that, you know, sometimes people overestimate, you know, how far things have come when, you know, this story that happened to, you know, James Baldwin in like 1940 something, like could be a story that happened to somebody in 2019. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully things continue to change. Obviously, um, and unfortunately, a lot of the times it does take uh, tragic events like, you know, everything that happened to Khalif, you know, happened. And then, you know, fortunately, they did get rid of at least solitary confinement for juveniles and Rikers. But, um, you know, like, again, that's something that it somebody didn't have to die for that to happen. You know what I mean? That should have been something that people have been looking at um, just in terms of, of criminal justice reform, because there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in our criminal justice system that, you know, it's, it, it was in place for very specific reasons a long time ago and like is no longer applicable, you know, but people just, because that's how we've always done things, just decide that there's no reason to change anything because things are quote unquote going great. Uh, when in reality, like it's, it's a lot of people's lives are being just turned upside down. Um, you know, because of situations like this where, you know, it's just, you know, one unfortunate event and you're in the wrong place at the wrong time and somebody decides that you're going to jail, you know, it's just, this is just what's happening. And and for a lot of people, you know, they kind of find themselves in situations where, you know, similar to Khalif, it's like, you know, Khalif was, you know, like 16 and like, I mean, he had a life and he was doing things, but, you know, there have been people it's like, you know, well, I have kids, like I need to, I can't be in jail for three years. Like I need to go home. So, you know, like I'll take a plea deal and admit to something that I didn't do, but like now that's, that's with me forever. Like I can't undo that. Um, So, you know, similar to black experience, you know, I hope it's a story that people read and kind of like are able to make those connections and, and, and think about those things and kind of see, you know, how, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's still happening that, you know, that needs to change. And those things don't, won't change unless, you know, people are vocal about it and people speak out about it and people, you know, speak to people in power about it and basically demand change. Like things don't necessarily happen just because you'd like it to happen or just because you like, you know, talk to, you know, your friends and say, yeah, you know, like that should, that, why is that a thing? You know, like that needs to change. Um, But unless you're, you're, necessarily challenging people in power to make that change and making it known that like we as a people we as a society want this to change like we don't think that people should be criminalized for marijuana anymore like that's an outdated thing like just legalize it you know what i mean do whatever you got to do surrounding that but like nobody's lives need to be ruined because you know they had you know an ounce on them you know and now they're a, a felon you know for uh, nonviolent drug arrest. You know what I mean? Like these are things that, you know, we can change and we can make happen, but, um, it does take, you know, people's voices to, to be raised and concerns to be raised. Um, so, you know, I don't think that this comic is necessarily going <laughs> to, you know, start a revolution per se, but like, hopefully people do read it and come away with that sense of like, you know, 
like action, like action still needs to happen. Like all the things that have happened up to this point are great. And like grateful for all the people who have, you know, done activist work up until this point and are continuing to do activist work now. Um, but like, they still need our support and we still need to, to, you know, be lockstep with them in terms of, you know, the things that are going on. Like, we can't just say, Oh, like you could do that. Like, you know, black lives matter. Like you handle that ACLU, you handle that. Like, you know, that's your thing. You know, I'll just watch from the sideline. Like, you know, they need people to support them and come out and, and, and vocalize with them, you know, for, a lot of the changes that we need in this this country to happen to happen. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think that, um, you know, like you said, maybe, you know, one piece of art isn't necessarily going to topple um, it all, but I think the collective energy is, is really important, you know, and, you know, you hear that conversation where people say like, Oh, who's the, you know, why don't we have a, a, a Martin or, or a Malcolm, but it's like, you know we're in a different time and i think that um there obviously you know we've we've had had amazing you know leaders and 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 figures but i think that's not what the times call for necessarily you know and and i think that um in some ways not um just in some ways when 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 people identify too much behind one individual anyway i think it, it, it can create a certain level of inactivity so, I mean, I, I think that the idea of just the, you know, people collectively working in their own different ways, like what, with whatever means they have to offer, I think is is more, most effective in the long run. For sure. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, yeah, I'm sorry. The reason I'm pausing is I just had so much to think, but I think that there is some truth to the fact that we are more educated now than we were decades ago. And mm-hmm. I think you know, there, there, there is relatively no need to have that one polarizing leader anymore is because there's so many of us. And I think that's why the Black Lives Matter movement was so successful. And I still think it's very successful because, you know, particularly black women can sort of, you know, take the reins and, and really push agendas forward. Um, and I think a lot of that is because we are more educated than we've ever been, you know, mm-hmm. um, and we don't need to have that one person basically going on the air saying, read this book or, you know, do this, do that. Um, and I, th- I felt like that that happened a lot in the 60s. Um, but then people started going to college and people started really reading, you know, books that you don't normally read in high school. Um, and, you know, I think the, the education has really changed. Um, now, the education system is something entirely different. But I think that we are more, uh, definitely as a people, we are more educated than we've ever been. Um, and people also take for granted, like Martin, Malcolm, yeah. you know, even Muhammad Ali, people like that. Like, people hated them. Like, that mm-hmm. wasn't, like, people didn't like mm-hmm. them at all. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't a situation. You, you look at stuff now, Martin Luther King Jr. has, and rightfully has, you know, a uh, uh, memorial down here in D.C., uh, you know, that people could come and go to and look at. But like, if you said Martin Luther King Jr. is going to get a memorial in 19, <laughs> 1960, uh, no like, somebody might fight you. Like that wasn't, you know what I mean? Like he wasn't even amongst, you know, black people. Like a lot of black people were like, man, he's, he's too radical. Like he's doing things that are like, you know, I don't know if I can get with that. Like, um, you know, kids are going to jail. Like people are getting locked up all the time at these, you know, like they turn on the news and like, there's, 
you know, people getting hosed and dogs are attacking them. And they're like, you know, he's he's leading these people out there to have this happen to them. Right. Um, Not to put Colin Kaepernick in the same sentence, but I think that when people talk about like him and, you know, how he's this pariah, uh, it's like he's doing what any athlete before him who was, quote unquote, woke. He's doing the same thing. And we celebrate those people. We don't celebrate him. I think that's very interesting. Um, I mean, if if Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was playing today. Mm-hmm. The NBA might explode. Like I don't know. <laughs> like, as political as he was, and him being, you know, Muslim, and like all those other things, like I, yeah. it would be like insane. Yeah, um, and to a lesser extent, Mahmoud Abdul Rauf. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, he was. I mean, I don't think he, his so, career ever so, recovered. Really, no, no, no it didn't. It yeah, didn't. yeah. And I mean, Ali, just just to add, I'm sorry, but um, you know, Ali obviously is a hero of mine, but I almost feel like it, you know he didn't become this more accepted, beloved figure until he almost literally lost his voice. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was yeah. like then he, he's more palatable, um, and he might appear humbled. So it's like people are with with, with the combination of that and and with time, you know. But it's just. I don't know. It, it it is a threat, and and if he was was still um, saying the things he was saying, you know, then it just wouldn't have been as warm and cuddly in the minds of a lot of people. You know? no, but yeah, I, I, I absolutely think Kaepernick. Um, I don't. I don't think it's wrong to put him in the same sentence, just for the simple fact that, like, you know, this is somebody who, you know, who really sacrificed. And granted, you know, I know he had a settlement and everything, but like he could have made easily made different choices and still been, been playing right now. You know what I mean? But yeah. like, yeah. Um, and, and even, even just purely on a symbolic level, you know, people being willing to step up and make that sacrifice to, um, to get a greater uh, discussion going and, you know, and, and, and more movement going is, is, is powerful. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, but I mean, athletics, man. There's a there's a long history of them. Oh yeah, trying to tell us to quote unquote shut up and play, you know. Right. And it's it's, it's why. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, and this is why you know I will tell you right now, I was never a Michael Jordan fan. Now, don't get me wrong. I know that he is like the greatest, one of the greatest <laughs> players of all time. Yeah. But you know, I get I get more and more frustrated with the fact that he says nothing. You know what I mean? When all the people are basically killing for his shoes and he yeah. just collects a paycheck. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I have gone to a point, I'm at an age where I expect my athletes to be somewhat, you know, in touch with reality. Mm. Now, a lot of that is hard to do because they also see green and the way the NBA is set up is they don't really give a shit if you're educated. They just want you to dunk the ball. So, um, but it would be nice to see some some sort of reflection on the world around them. So, I mean, it turns out that if you end up playing for the Milwaukee Bucks, you get a lesson in racism really quickly. Right. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, sometimes that's what it takes. But I, I expect my athletes to have some sort of sense. You yeah, I mean? it's hard. Like, so, so. Growing up a, a Bulls fan. <laughs> Sorry, man. Uh, as all of my family I'm, also from a, Chicago. I'm also a Nick fan. I'm a Nick fan. Yeah. So, you know, well, see, you know, there's fan. there's still trauma. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> exactly. But, 
I, I mean, I will, I will, in Mike's defense, I will say this, and, and I think this applies to, you know, athletes, celebrities, and a lot of people, you know, like, um, I don't know. I'm blanking on, uh, the name of, uh, the guy who, who played with him, uh, Hodge Hodges. So Craig Hodges has said about Mike and I, I believe him in this sense, you know what I mean? Because Craig Hodges tells stories where he was like, yo, like, um, after the Rodney King beating, he was like trying to get magic and Michael and all these other people to like, you know, not, not necessarily like outright boycott, but just like the, the next game after like, don't play, like we're not going to play. Yeah. Um, and he, he didn't you know, show up to the white house, Craig Hodges, right? No, or, or, or like, he went and he, uh, I can't remember, but he, he, he gave, some sort I think of he, yeah, he gave Bush like a letter. Like that that's was just right. like, that's um, right. like all, all the things that are happening in his community. Um, and, you know, I, I think he, he's kind of alluded to the fact that like, you know, Mike knew, you know, what was going on. And like, I mean, he and Mike would have conversations and he would try to continue to educate Mike. Um, but like part of it probably was like, Mike, you know, you don't want to mess up the bag. Like Mike was like the man, you know, he was getting incredible amounts of money for an athlete. Um, but also like Mike just wasn't like as a, as a voice, like he wasn't, I guess you could say politically literate, socially literate in terms of like, you know, sometimes you have those expectations of people and you want people to do stuff. And then Mike comes out and it's not even like if Mike said the wrong thing, but like, he, didn't say no, he said nothing. <laughs> yeah. But right. like, but some people just don't like, they just don't have anything to say. Like they don't have anything to add to the conversation. And while, you know, it would be nice of Mike to have said something, right. represented right. something. And, you know, people will continue to say like, you know, him and Kobe and a bunch of other people, you know, they do donate money. They do donate time. They do all these other things that people don't necessarily see in the public eye. But, you know, I think it, it can be, it can be counterproductive sometimes where you have, you throw people out here and expect them to be, you know, advocates and, 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 and speak on things that like, they just might not know anything about, like they might, you know, Mike played basketball. <laughs> like that was what Mike did. And like, it's not even, it's not even that it's not a realistic expectation of Mike to come out, you know, and speak on stuff, you know, specifically again, when you have, when it's, it's a unique thing to the black community where we do have these people who are like they speak for us you know what i mean like there's no white representative there's no it's not like yeah this is tom cruise is going to tell us what white people think about you know like every you know what i mean but like i'd, be, I'd believe it though <laughs> but michael jordan you know he comes out and says something and like that's and that's it you know, that's what black yeah. people think um and it's not even like he comes out and says the wrong thing you know but like he his opinions may just be very base and like not very nuanced, and he might you know because that's the I mean, thing. I mean, Mike, you know, you right, have a right. you have a really good you point. point. You have a great point because yeah. honestly, the, the rappers like you know no no shade to the rappers that you know there's some rappers that will really articulate some important points and and they'll they'll hit the nail on the head. Oftentimes they're not cracking the top forty. You know what I mean. But, but I have had there's been some super cringeworthy moments where, you know, some of our biggest rap stars okay. have tried to speak to an, an issue that's important to us. And they just drop the ball so badly. It's like, dude, you're not helping. No. And, and I think the thing, too, is like, you know, they might be able to make like a statement. But once 
conversation starts. You know what I mean? They clearly don't know, not even just like history, but like they're just not aware of like what's going on, you know, because it is unfortunate too in the sense that, um, not that like the the media or the man or whatever is out to get people, but like, you know, specifically in, in today's age, like we were talking about before, just, you know, cancel culture and like outrage, like, you know, people do want those viral moments, those viral statements. And like, you know, it's very easy for somebody to get kind of tricked and trapped into a thing where like they meant to do good. And then, you know, somebody asked a follow-up question and then it's like, Oh, I <laughs> I realize I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know? And now and now you're in, you know, kind of the deep waters and you don't really know, you know, how to navigate and what to say and what to do. So um, you know, again, it's 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 nuanced, it's two sided because, you know, obviously I don't expect, you know, every celebrity, every athlete to be able to speak, you know, to issues going on. I mean, like they know what's going on. And a lot of them, you know, who have come from, you know, urban areas and have been through a lot of things, like they could speak to experience of like, yeah, like that's like LeBron, LeBron is, you know, kind of, uh, you know, he's, he's up there in terms of, you know, somebody who's, you know, speaking out and doing things, but like, you know, you, you hear him talk and like, yeah, like he grew up in Akron and like, that was real. Like he, only got out of there because he's really good at basketball. But like, if that wasn't, if he was a few inches shorter or like, you know, wasn't gifted in the ways that he's gifted, like he might still be there. Like, um, you know, Randy Moss would talk about, you know, how coming from West Virginia, like, you know, he went to Marshall and then he went to the NFL and like, he'd come home and like the same dudes would be there. Like they played, you know, football with him in college and they just went back home. And like we're at the gas station, like hanging out like they were before they went to college. And like, you know, there's a very fine line between, you know, some of the people that are able to, you know, ascend to these platforms and, and some of the people who never get that chance. But like, you know, they so they, they have an awareness like they're in these neighborhoods. They know stuff. But, you know, again, so somebody like Marshawn Lynch, for example, I love Marshawn Lynch. I don't think Marshawn Lynch has deep opinions about politics and like i don't know if i should take anything he says politically not to say that he's not dumb but like he's just not tapped in like that's not what he's focused on and he said that before he said i'm focused on oakland like i know oakland i know my neighborhood i know the people who live here like i'm trying to make a difference here in the way that i can like i I'm not going to tell you who to vote for because I don't know, but like, you know, I'm going to do what I can do, you know, for the people that I can do it for. Um, so I don't, I don't know, Mike, like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know, you know, his, his whole deal. And, and you know, I definitely agree that he could have done more, but like, you know, can you imagine if Mike came out and just said something crazy? <laughs> like, I don't, like that could have been real bad. So, you know, I think there's, there's a, there's two sides in, in terms of, you know, like, yeah, I wish he would have done more, but like maybe glad that he didn't try to do more if that's not his lane. Like if that's not what he's, yeah, he's, you're absolutely right. he's able to do. But again, you're a Knicks fan, and I can understand. Coming <laughs> I'm going to find something to pick at him. <laughs> Yo, I have an interesting person. I was a, uh... I was a Lakers fan. I am a Lakers fan, but, um, you know, the Knicks were definitely my second team. And that whole, you know, run when the Bulls and the Knicks would really go at it and the Lakers, you know, were were mostly out of the playoffs, 
like ah, those are some rough, <laughs> rough years. <laughs> and then at the same time, to complicate it more, like just as someone who appreciated the the game, like I couldn't help but I would root hard against the Bulls, but I also really just dug Jordan's game. You know what I mean? Like what what he did on the court, right? So. Yeah, that happened to me with Kobe, like near the end of his career, like after, um, like during the Shaq years, I was like, I hate Kobe. You know what I mean? Because because you're kind of just like, oh, like if Shaq wasn't there, like he wouldn't be, you know. And then like, you know, during that Celtic series, I was kind of like, I don't want Kobe to win. Like I don't know why this is happening to me. Like I'm not. <laughs> I didn't yeah. feel this way before, but like you know, just watching him play, it's just like you can't deny that he's really good at this like he's you know and i think that's the thing whether and and you know kind of tying it back around into comics like you know there are people who like they just they they're ready to hate they're ready to pounce on people you know they're ready to you know like completely throw things out the window um you know for whatever reason um but then you know you're kind of you're 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 shorting your if you're really a fan of what you say you're a fan of like you should appreciate great things happening you know what i mean so like i love basketball and you know even players that i'm like man like i don't like you like if they make a great play i'm not going to be like oh man that was a lucky shot or like that was a lucky you know whatever it's like that was (laughs) that was great like i'm gonna i'm gonna stand up i'm gonna cheer i'm gonna clap and you know same with comics it's like you know, even if it's, you know, there's been characters that I'm like, I'm not really a fan of that character. Like, I don't really like that character. But then somebody I like will come around and write it and I'll be like, I'm a fan. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't, you know, sit here and be like, oh man, you know, I really hate so-and-so. And like, I, I'll never buy that book because, you know, somebody comes around and they're doing great work. Like, you know, you're, you're only hurting yourself as a fan of the medium. If you just say, you know, I'll never buy, you know, this book or i'll never support even you know certain creators like people put out amazing things when you least expect it so um you know obviously you know everybody has their own taste and everybody has things that they like but um you know to just be like you know for example if you want to take it even to the movies like i don't want dc movies to be bad a lot of them happen to be bad but I prefer if they were good. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not out here like, man, I, I, I wish all of these movies sucked and like, you know, Marvel, whatever, whatever. It's like, no, like I want them all to be good because I want to watch all of them. You know what I mean? Like, but I'm going to call it if it's bad, it's bad. Like, I'm not going to, you know, sit up here and stand for something that's like not quality. But at the same time, like I'm not rooting for anything to to suck just on merit. Like I want it all to be good because I'm a fan of these characters. So like. You know, you got people who are, you know, they're, you you question, like, are you really, do you really like comics? Like, do you really like basketball or do you just like being angry about stuff? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I've seen, I've seen, you know, people who fall into the whole, uh, you know, diversity in comics type trap who, are super new to the medium. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So they'll they'll literally argue with people who have been, you know, with black people, with women, black women, etc., who've been into comics forever. And they they're new, they're the ones that are new to it, but they somehow mm-hmm. still feel a certain level of, you know, whatever entitlement mm-hmm. to, to question the 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 credentials of of the of marginalized people. Well, and that's I mean, that's you know, 
if we want to talk about, you know, being a marginalized person in, in a nerdy, you know, area, like it is, it is that idea of like always having to show your credentials, always having your badge out uh, for people to check and inspect. Like I've talked with, you know, a lot of, um, you know, women that I know who like, they'll go to like game nights and like, you know, like role playing nights and like uh, tabletop nights and like, men will try to explain Dungeons and Dragons to them. And they'll be like, I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons since I was 13. Like, I know all of this shit. Like, I don't know why you just assume because I'm here. Like, I don't know what's going Mm -hmm. on. Um, And, you know, that, that happens sometimes when you're kind of moving through these spaces where, um, you know, not even to say that they, they weren't designed for us in general, but like, you know, they're they're dominated by, uh, you know, a certain group of people and like, like you were saying, like even people who don't like they're new to it, just kind of come in assuming ownership of stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, it can, it can be frustrating sometimes to have to like, not even cause you, cause you feel like you shouldn't have to prove yourself and you don't have to prove yourself. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, what's, when you keep getting checked, I guess, you know, time and time again, like, you're just like, I guess, I guess I have to show, show people that I know what I'm talking about. Like I have a friend um, who like, he's a walking like Marvel encyclopedia. Like he knows everything and he'll tell me stories like from when he was a kid, like people continuously telling him like, Oh no, like, you know, like the Hulk, you know, whatever the stat in the third, he's like, look, man, like I've read all the Hulk, like this is what happened to that issue. I don't know why you're arguing with me about this. I can go home and get it for you. Like, this is like, I know this stuff. Um, but you know, it can, it can, you can find yourself in those spaces a lot where, you know, you might be the only one. And then, you know, people just assume, you know, out of hand that you either don't know what's going on or like, you know, are coming from it from, you know, a, a, a place of ignorance and like when it's actually the reverse. So you kind of have to like, you know, keep that, keep that positive energy sometimes and just like take a deep breath and (laughs) let it go. But, um, yeah, I think, I think, you know, even, you know, with, with diversity in comics, like it's a situation where there's a lot of people who, um, you know, are, are, are out to make, uh, make life hard for people, but for no reason and and it's and it's out of again under the guise of like oh we love comics and we love you know this that and the third um but you know when you talk to them it's like well, what comics do you read uh it's like what 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 do you like you know you you how many comics have you actually like worked on uh you know what i mean it's like well you know and you're and you're talking to people who like you said like they've been doing this for a long time um, and they've been, you know, either fans of this for a long time. So, you know, I, I think, uh, it's unfortunate in the sense that, you know, this is the kind of stuff that is, is happening now, 2016 and on where there's just, and the internet too, like the internet's weird. Like I have a lot of weird feelings about the internet just cause it's a place where, you know, I don't know, I don't know at what point. I know at at this particular point, we can't go back. Like we crossed the point of no return. Like the internet is forever now. Like this is how we live now. Um, You know, and you know, I think about it sometimes where like, if you try to explain to a kid Mm. the year 2002, even Mm. 
Mm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when there wasn't Facebook and there wasn't Snapchat and there wasn't Netflix and there wasn't, and they'd be like, what, you know, what did you do? Like, how did you live? It's like, well, I mean, <laughs> it's, 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 that bad. No, no, it's absolutely crazy to, to think that by the time I, st- when I started college, to the time I ended college, there was no internet. And then by the time I ended it, there was the internet. <laughs> it's, it's crazy or rather it was there probably before yeah we we went around the same time it, it was there but it wasn't what it was it was there but it was, right. exactly yeah. and it's so it's 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 crazy because when i think about for example 9-11 you know what i mean mm. the way the internet was back in 2001 is not how it is now you know no. what I mean? so you know when we talk about like the people who were down there um not knowing what was happening because they couldn't log on to CNN to see a live feed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, there was no Twitter to say, get out of the building or there was no, you know what I mean? All that shit now that you see didn't yeah. exist then. And that's hard to articulate to someone, you know, yeah. especially when you're like, you know what? There was a time where I actually had to use like these buttons to make a phone call. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you had to remember phone numbers. You had yeah. to remember phone numbers. I, by the way, I still remember my original phone number when I was a kid. Yeah, but I can't yeah. tell you anything else. <laughs> I don't have to remember them. Well, it's wild too. Cause like I, you know, I'll do, um, you know, conventions, you know, a whole bunch of different places. So sometimes I'll drive and, you know, I have these thoughts sometimes where I was like, if this was like 10 years ago, like how would I even get here? Like, how would I even know? I rely on my GPS so much that I'm like, you know, I, I take for granted sometimes, like, I'm driving to some place that I don't know where that is. And for some reason, this cuts off yep. on me. I'm lost. It was a point in time where MapQuest was the best shit ever. Yeah. And you had to print it out ahead of time. And yeah. you, you know what I mean? You had your step-by-step directions. Yep. I remember that. <laughs> But there was no rerouting, so if you missed your your turn, yep. you would have to like you know you wouldn't know it for like a while. You'd be like, you know, it says turn left on you know this road, but like I haven't seen that, and I've been driving for five minutes. Maybe I need to turn around. Oh. <laughs> but but it's it, but it's it's crazy, you know. And and again, tying it even back to you know comics that I've done, like I did this anthology um you know a couple of years ago called duality which was about how um you know there's there's a a growing divide between uh you know the real world that we live in and then the digital world that we spend you know so much time in now and how people like you know you can you can be somebody else on the internet you know what i mean like you can create an entirely different persona and life online and not even just like in a you know small semantic way but like literally like you can like assume a completely different identity and like just just live two lives you know simultaneously in a way that like you know i don't i mean it's not something that i think anybody ever conceived of or, or thought about but like you know i think a lot about just how as a society like the internet in terms of how it's how it's changed how we interact with each other and it's changed you know just certain social norms where again like all these comics and diversity people like they would never say any of this shit to anybody's face they would never talk the way that they talk to people in real life you know and even in terms of like you know again i'll talk to you know uh 
you know, friends of mine, women friends of mine, just about like, you know, dating and online dating. And like, again, people are like, oh, like, do people really just send dick pics like that? And it's like, yeah, like I've seen, like I've talked to people, like that just happens, you know what I mean? Like out of nowhere. And um, again, like you wouldn't just unzip your pants at a bar. Like that's not a thing. Uh, but like people just feel very comfortable doing things and 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 interacting with people in a way that like, it's it's unheard of like it's not it's not how we do it in a face-to-face you know real life way um but you know the internet in terms of you know how it continues to encroach on uh you know the way that we interact with people and and, and the conversations that we have and how conversations are are carried out and informed because again like a lot of this cancel culture it's because of these conversations that are happening in a very public sphere, you know, on Twitter, on Facebook, you know, on social media. Um, and just the way that like, I don't, I don't know if it will change in the future, even in terms of like, uh, you know, legislation and, uh, you know, like, I guess, criminal charges in terms of like, if, if somebody's stalking you online, if somebody's sending you death threats online, like, it's the, it's still the internet. And so there's, there's still some gray area in terms of like, is that legal? Is that illegal? Like even on Twitter, like what is, what is hate speech? Like some people get banned from Twitter for seemingly innocuous things. And then some people are like full on Nazis and like, nobody's doing anything about, you know, what they're putting out into the world. And so, um, you know, that's, that's another thing, you know, in terms of, you know, my work and, and what I try to, uh, you know, deal with is is the internet and technology just because it is such a uh, a big part of our lives, um, and even that intersection of technology and race and gender and all of this stuff that you know we as a society are now like still trying to figure out how all those things fit in together. Because uh, you know, I can uh, I can see a world you know twenty years from now where we look back on this time and like, what the fuck were we doing? Like what? was 20 you know 16 through like 2025 like what was that whole period we were just insane people um and uh it's 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 difficult to you know navigate just because it's it's happening now you know like hindsight is great you know and you look back on things and you're like yeah that was silly or like why did we do that but like in the moment you know like things are very intense and um you know i i just continue to wonder about how um, you know, again, even when you think of, uh, stuff like the Arab spring or like a lot of people were using social media to like, you know, try to enact political change in all these different places around, you know, the Arab world, um, and how quickly, like, again, like that couldn't have happened in 2005, but like, you know, fast forward just a few years and like, there's a whole digital political revolution that's happening. Um, so, you know, like in regards to, you know, how that affects us as, you know, nerdy people of color, like, um, you know, it's great because again, like growing up, you know, in, in the nineties, like it could feel isolating. Like you might feel like, Oh, like, am I the only one that likes this thing? Like, I don't see a lot of other people that look like me that are into this stuff. Um, but now you can just, you know, log on and like, there's whole, you know, Facebook groups and like Twitter groups and like all kinds of stuff, um, where you can go and find, you know, people who, you know, are into the same things that you are, who have, you know, similar backgrounds and life experiences that you do. Um, 
and it's and it's just like that like it's not it's not a chore to do it like it's it's very easily accessible um so that's that's obviously great um but at the same time like you know we are kind of vulnerable in these spaces because the way that they are uh i, I don't know again i don't know if policed is the right word but just the way that they're kind of structured like you know the the idea of freedom of speech which again a lot of people don't understand what that means. It doesn't mean you can say whatever you want. It means that you can say whatever you want and then some shit might happen. You know what I mean? Like it's not a one-way street where like you can just say things to me and then you can walk away. Like I can yell at you or like I'm not going to go out and fight somebody, but like if you said something to somebody and they punch you, that is what happens. Like, that's not, <laughs> it's not like you can't claim the, the, the first amendment, you know, when you like call somebody out their name and then you get into a fight, like, that's not how that works. So, um, you know, online it's the same way. Like you can say stuff to people, but then if it, it turns into a thing that's not online anymore, <laughs> where you have to see this person in real life, like there's not, you know, for a lot of people, like there's no, online and offline you know what i mean and like there's there's places like 4chan and the like where people are like oh man like it's just the internet like why are people so upset about me sharing this you know racist meme whatever like it's it's a joke um but like for a lot of people like that's not a joke like that's real life that's happening to them so like you know you say the wrong thing to the wrong person on the wrong day there, there might be problems like i don't <laughs> i can't yeah. <laughs> yeah. um but yeah i mean it, i i i do i do think about that a lot too just in terms of like how we you know navigate this this digital social space because i've made a lot of great friends online um you know in a way that like i wouldn't have been able to do that growing up like you know i've i've lived on both sides of, you know, pre AOL, you know, chat spaces and, and all that stuff. And now, you know, into the world of, you know, social media. Um, and, you know, I'm very grateful that, you know, a lot of these spaces and places exist because we can have conversations like this. Um, you know, we can, we can reach out to each other and support each other and talk to each other and, and do all this stuff. And I can find amazing work by people of color who are doing great things, who, you know, if it was just up to, you know, the the machine to kind of have its will, like I might never find any of these things because they're not going to be in my local comic shop and they're not going to be in previews uh, and they're not going to be in a lot of other spaces that, you know, are are generally available. But like, you know, I dig a little bit and I can find a lot of really amazing stuff, whether it's web comics or zines or, um, you know, just people doing small stuff and throwing it up on Instagram. So, um you know, the internet has done like a lot of, a lot of great stuff, which I'm very grateful for. And then, you know, I mean, it's, it's technology in the hands of humans. So like it, it could go both ways. Like it's, it probably will always go both ways. Um, there'll always be the good with the bad, but, um, you know, I am, I am hopeful in the, in the sense of, of, you know, us kind of figuring things out in a way that, you know, people just aren't left so vulnerable that like, people can just do whatever they want without repercussion. All right. Yeah, man. Wow. <laughs> well, 
Um, normally, we usually do topics, but it is getting late. So That's, yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, yeah we'll have to have you back because I feel we're like, definitely gonna have to have you back. Yeah, we we um, had all these topics, but um, the we there really wasn't any any place to cut off that conversation because it's all <laughs> important stuff. No, absolutely, absolutely. So just a few things that I will say before we go is, you know, yes, Captain Marvel's proving toxic fanboys wrong. So if you mm-hmm. haven't seen it, I suggest you do so. Um, Avengers Endgame looks insane. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll have to get it. We'll have to get into that at some point. Uh, we talked about this in the green room. Us came out today. I haven't seen it. I don't know if any of you have. Um, I should see it. Yeah, I'm going to see it on Sunday. Humanly possible. Yeah, I'm probably going to see it Sunday as well. Okay, awesome. I am actually traveling. I'm going to uh, Indianapolis for a conference for my 9 to 5. So maybe I get to see it on on when I come back. Um, I also want to say two more things. Uh, If you are into Apex Legends, uh, they have done uh, what's called Season 1, which is sort of this new campaign that's going on for the next three months. Um, They introduced some new characters, some new rewards, uh, it's an insane time if you love Apex Legends. Uh, I'm getting better at it. Um, so, yeah. And then, uh, and Marcus will have to talk about this at some point, Lion Forge is starting, Lion Forge Catalyst Prime is doing uh, an event called mm. Seven Days Event, which basically it's a, a storyline that's going across all books. It's occurring within seven days, and it's supposed to be an alien invasion. Wow. Um, in which either the earth is conquered in seven days or something happens. Uh, the details have been a bit sketchy. Gail Simone sort of um, announced this a few weeks ago, um, but I'm interested. And we've, we're big yeah. fans of Lion Forge here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have, you know, Lion Forge, most of their books, uh, the Catalyst Prime books are in my pull list. So I have them all. I just have to catch up with all my reading. Um, Time to catch up because <laughs> that seven days event sounds like it's going to be fire. Yeah, most definitely. And if we're lucky, maybe we can get somebody to uh, somebody from them to talk about it. We'll see. Yeah. yeah All right. So, um, in record time, Jordan, tell us where uh, we can find you on the internet. Uh, you could find me on Twitter at jrsosa18, jrsosa18. Um, and that's, I mean, I'm announcing stuff there all the time. I've got, uh, the Kickstarter coming up, uh, on April 12th. Uh, that's when the Elk Martin kicks Elk Mountain Kickstarter is going to launch. Uh, so if you're interested in that, check us out then. Um, you can find my website, jclarkcomics.squarespace.com where I have a lot of stuff around Elk Mountain, but then, you know, you can purchase and check out all my other projects. Um, and I'll be, you know, announcing and doing stuff through there as well. Awesome. Marcus, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me, just just go to um, at MarcusKwame.com. Uh, you can find all my social media there, artwork, otherwise, information about Snow Days, which is coming at you soon, and uh, some other new things, which I can't speak about yet, but I will be able to soon. Oh, also, um, this coming year, um, look out for, for Cash and Carry Book 2. There you I'm go. super excited about that, seeing it in print. Um, yeah, I worked really hard. Shout out to Sean Pryor, you know, Julie Speziani, everyone else involved with that project. Um, so yeah. And also, you know, your, your, your boy's got his name on the cover this time. So (laughs) that's important. That's important. Absolutely. 
As for me, uh, you can find me on Instagram and on Twitter, uh, Latinegro one one N. Uh, I'm also on Facebook. Um, you can go to AnthonyOtero.com uh, where you'll see both my novels and a link to Puerto Rico Strong, which is uh, an anthology that I wrote something in, which all uh, proceeds go to help the victims of Hurricane Maria. Yeah, um, I was I was actually supposed to be in Puerto Rico Strong. Like, it, oh, what happened? Yeah. I, well, it, yeah, it was just it was a weird scheduling thing. Like, not everything was able to get done in the time that needed to get done. Um, but I did make the story anyway. So like, that's also on my website. If you want to check that out for oh, people. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I, I, um, uh, tweeted your, your comic shop again, but I'll, uh, I'll tweet it once, once more at the end of the show. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I gotta know. try to jump on. I gotta try to jump on another anthology. <laughs> I, just, I just haven't had time. Um, for those who don't know, I've changed jobs. I was at Barnard College. I'm now at Rutgers University. So still living in Harlem, but that's probably going to change. So I'm probably going to move to New Jersey. Mm. <sighs> anyway, we won't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> we won't talk about it. All right. So I think that's it for, for the night. Uh, Jordan, thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, man. No, thank um, you, guys. We got to have you back, definitely, especially when the Kickstarter drops. Yeah, anytime. Let me know. All right. Well, that's it. Have a good night, y'all. All right, y'all. Peace. Black comics. Black comics.